0: Now, who do you say Jesus Christ is? I mean, to you personally. The answers of others does you no good. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Is He your Lord? What would your answer be? And you know, folks dodge that question now. And they can do that. But after death, in fact, in eternity, they will have to come to grips with that. And it will be too late at that point. This question, who is Jesus Christ, will mean the difference between heaven and hell. Who? is Jesus Christ to you. Have you been born again?
1: The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving.
0: Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the Gospel of Matthew in the 16th chapter. Matthew chapter 16. going to be talking about who is Jesus today. Who is Jesus? Believe it or not, people don't know. I didn't for 20 years. I knew about Jesus, but really didn't know Him. And there are some people that want to know about Him. They wouldn't ask you, but you work with them. You live by them. You're related to them. And though they wouldn't bring it up, they would really love to know about the Jesus of the Bible. So who is he? Well, that's a question he actually puts to his followers here in Matthew chapter 16. And we pick it up in verse number 13. It says, when Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias or Elijah, and others... Jeremiah, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. We're going to be starting a series today on lessons. From the Lord, and this one is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we ask you now to please help us to listen carefully as we exposit this passage of the Holy Word. And we do pray now, Lord, that you'd give to us understanding. And we pray that that which we learn will be used for thy glory and honor. We pray now and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the church periodically sends out a Faith for Life magazine or paper one came out recently just a week or so ago on the very back there was an article that that I had written about the rapture what's all this rapture business about and I got an email here just this last week on that and it's talking about the second coming of Christ and this individual, I, I don't know if they're a foreign exchange student, I judge from the, the name that perhaps they, they were, but they said Christ cannot come back because the Bible prophesied that he had to uh, in the latter 1800s and that didn't happen. Well, I've studied the Bible for over 30 years. I've I've never seen such a prophecy in there. He went on and he said that it's been proven that after the crucifixion, Jesus Christ survived it and, and he went to India and he died of a natural death there in India, and apparently his grave has been identified, and and there's Hindu manuscripts that tell us he supposedly uh, met with a, a Hindu or a Hindi kind of a guy, and that there are 60 places named after him there in that region where he went, and that even Mary followed him, and and they went to northern Pakistan later on, and she was buried there, and and that Jesus never died on the cross. Now, folks, I I thought I'd heard it all, but, you know, I'd never even heard heard this before. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, then it's all a hoax. He didn't resurrect. And the apostles died in vain. And, of course, we know the apostles, they were cowards and things like that before. They turned into fearless men afterwards, and something changed them, didn't it? And it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus didn't resurrect and die, he lied because he said he was going to. And if he did come out of that grave and was just swooning and came back to life, um, then who rolled the stone away? And... And why did the soldiers who were guarding it get uh, knocked out when the earthquake took place and why would they risk their lives saying something like that happened if it didn't why uh, when they put that spear into his side did water and blood come out which is definitely medically a sign of death and how did he get out of those grave clothes that were more like a a, a paper mache kind of a of a cocoon and 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 there's all these other questions that can't be answered and and just because some a uh, documentary is shown by Discovery. The Discovery Channel says that, you know, he, got, he went to India and so on and so forth, and there's rumors here and there. I'll go with the Bible, and I'll go with the eyewitness account of those who were there and saw it. The big question, however, is not did Jesus literally die and did he uh, resurrect, but the big question, or at least the question before us today is, who is he? Who is Jesus? That is a question, beloved, that must be answered. Who is Jesus Christ? Twenty centuries later, it's still a relevant question. Now, other so-called religious swamis and gurus and and leaders have come and gone, and and, and there's there's no proof of their presence even today. But Jesus Christ is relevant today. And we find here him asking this question years ago that still needs to be answered in the 21st century. Who's Jesus Christ? That's quite a question. Now, the story before us is incredible. It's it's straight from the Bible. And we can look at it with 20-20 hindsight and and say, well, we know this and we know this and we know this. But put yourself in the place of the 12 apostles. Put yourself there. Take away all preconceived ideas and put yourself where they were in a time that people weren't sure who he was. I mean, his own mother wasn't sure who he was. In Luke 2.19 it says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And there she is trying to think this thing through going, what's going on here? He had brothers and sisters, by the way, after the virgin birth. Mary and Joseph had a normal marriage and they had several more children. And even those children didn't know what to make of Jesus Christ. At this time in history, in John 7, 5, it said, for neither did his brethren believe in him. In fact, the greatest... Christian, if you will, of all time, John the Baptist, even had his doubts, didn't he? And he even sent some of his disciples to Jesus saying, Are are you the one? Are you the Christ? And so there was a lot of question about who is this man? And so this story is recorded here in Matthew 16. It's also recorded in, in, I think, Mark 8 and Luke chapter 9. But Matthew here, the tax collector, gives us his eyewitness account of it. I love the stories found in the book of Matthew. Matthew was known as a, uh, a, a publican at that time. Most of them were crooked. But he went from fleecing to faith and from finances to faith. And so he writes this account for us here on who Jesus Christ is. Now, as we look at it, we see what I call, first of all, the dispute. The dispute over this. We pick it up in verse 13. It says, When Jesus came unto the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now that's quite a question. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with questions. I I like questions. It doesn't mean we're challenging somebody if we ask them an honest question. And sometimes it's viewed as, well, you're doubting. No, questions are essential in life. They're part of growing. And, and I invite questions, I ask questions. I have a curious mind, and if I get around somebody, I'm normally asking them questions. I think it helps you to stay young at heart. And I think we should es- especially be curious and ask questions about our Creator. Because you'll never exhaust that picture. But get this whole scenario here. Jesus Christ at this time had not really come out and said who He is like we know who He is today. He was actually kind of laying low. If you think about it, in John 2 and in verse 23, it says, Many believed in His name when they saw the miracles which He did, but Jesus did not commit Himself unto them because He knew all men. Now, what's that talking about? He didn't commit himself unto them. Well, simply, he didn't divulge who he was. He didn't tell everything about himself that he knew. At that time, he could not trust them because they would have uh, rose up in an insurrection, made him king and tried to overthrow the Roman government and so on and so forth. So he didn't really come out and say who he was. In fact, I mentioned a moment ago, uh, John the Baptist sent disciples to ask Jesus, are you he that should come or should we look for another? In other words, are are you the Messiah that was prophesied about in the old testament did jesus ever come out and tell them yes no if you remember the story he just said, well, watch for a while. And he, could, he, he healed people and raised the dead and did all this stuff. And he said, you go tell John what you've seen and you know let him decide for himself. Jesus at this point was not saying who he was. He was kind of trying to fly under the radar here. And the reason for that is he was simply trying to train these 12 men. He wasn't trying to build some big monument to himself here, but, but a movement that would involve these 12 men. But he also, I believe, knew that if he said this and, and divulged it too quickly that he is the Messiah and so on, it, it would have changed the focus of everything. Because they didn't understand that he had come to suffer the first time. They're thinking of this kingly Messiah that would throw off that Roman oppression and make the Jews a world power again. And so he hadn't said anything really up to this point. But in Matthew chapter 16, it's, it's near the latter end of his ministry, best I can figure. He's about three-fourths or maybe 80% through his three-and-a-half-year ministry. It's time for him to come out and to say it, to spell it out. And, and for three years, they had been living near him and, and listening to him. But now he's getting closer and closer to the cross. In fact, in verse number 21 of this same chapter, after this little scenario, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. But folks, that was brand new information. You've got to get that down pat. They didn't know that before. Imagine, here's these apostles, and they're following Him around. They had sold their stuff. They had left their homes. They had seen Him preach to the crowds. They had seen the miracles that He had done. And and they they saw Him come to the zenith of His ministry, which I think is right here where the crowds were huge and and everything was going his way. And at that point, now he's going to begin to tell them, look, fellas, it's different than what you're thinking. And he actually pulls away from those crowds. He goes to a place called Caesarea Philippi. You see it mentioned there in verse number 13. Caesarea Philippi was, was way in the north of Israel. And if you've ever heard the expression from Dan to Beersheba, okay, that's from the north to the south. And Caesarea Philippi was only four miles away from Dan. It was way up north there. And here's this city there. It's at the foot of Mount Lebanon, which was the source of the Jordan from the rain and the snow that would fall on Mount Lebanon. It would come down and it would form the Jordan River here. And here's this Caesarea Philippi. And it's in the northeast corner. I think it's an as a tribe, or one of those was a tribe up there. But it's 25 miles northeast of the tip of the Sea of Galilee. So it's way up there. And it, it was a, an area that was formerly called Panaeus. And that was the town, Panaeus, until a Tiberius Caesar and, and, and Philip the Tetrarch rebuilt this city. And Philip the Tetrarch named it after Caesar, Caesarea. But there was already a Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast, so they had to name this one Caesarea Philippi. They threw Philip's name in there to distinguish it from the other Caesarea. It's still there today, there's probably about 150 houses there. Just a little village there over in Palestine. But it was a place at the time of Jesus Christ that was not anything close to Christian or even Jewish in religion. It was a place full of uh, uh, pagan temples, Roman worship, Caesar worship, Nero worship, and Baal worship. And, and here's these, all these pillars and these columns and these massive buildings there. And it was really a heathen, heathen town. There were very few Jews there. Not one Christian there, if you will. And by the way, at this time, there wasn't a Christian church there because there were no Christian churches except the one Christ was pastoring at the time. You know, it's easy for us to, uh, to drive through America and see all these churches all over the place. I've been to London. I've been into Westminster Abbey. I've been into St. Paul's Cathedral. I've been in these huge, huge churches. But at this time, there in Caesarea Philippi, there wasn't one church dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was just Jesus Christ here in this little, small group of men. And he asks them there in the shadows of these heathen temples, who are they saying I am? What are they saying about me? What do they believe about me? You say, well, pastor, didn't he know? I mean, did he have to ask them? Didn't he know what they were saying? Well, yes, he knew what they were saying about him. That wasn't why he was asking the question. That's, that's not why Jesus ever asked any questions. It wasn't for his information. He always knew. He knew everything. You know, when there was 5,000 people, he turned to Philip and he said, how are we going to feed this crowd? <laughs> was he wringing his hands going, oh no, this is, this, is, this is one that's over my head. No, he wanted Philip to answer the question. Jesus knew all the time what was going on. He was omniscient. And even in in the time of Christ in John 16.30, his disciples said, Now are we sure that thou knowest all things? They knew that. He'd been reading their mind for three years now. I mean, when, when Peter was pondering whether Jesus paid taxes or not, Peter said, What do you got a question for you? And that's where that fish with the golden coin thing. He was reading Peter's mind. Uh, he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree, uh praying and, and crying out to God. He, he heard everything, he knew everything. We find in John 21 17 that Peter said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. And Peter knew he couldn't put one past Christ. Because they knew Him better than anybody. He was omniscient. And I'm sure He was always in their head. You ever know anyone like that? They're always, teenagers think parents are always getting in their heads. I've I got a good friend, Dr. Hayes. I, I feel like when I'm, I'm talking to him, he's in my head already. Jesus Christ was in the heads of the disciples all the time. Now, notice here in verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I... Notice this next expression, the Son of Man, Am. Jesus Christ called himself here the Son of Man. He's called that many times in the Bible. He's also called the Son of God. One shows his humanity, 100% man. One shows his deity, 100% God. Now, the Muslim faith will tell you that Jesus Christ himself never claimed to be the Son of God. He always said the Son of Man, the Son of Man. Others called him the Son of God, but Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. But that is not true. Jesus Christ did claim to be the Son of God. In John 35, Jesus said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? This was the blind man he had healed. And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, It is he that talketh with thee. Connect the dots there. He said, Do you believe in the Son of God? He said, Well, who is he? He said, You're talking to him. Jesus said, He's the Son of God. In the following two chapters, He says it even more plainly. John 10.36, He said, I am the Son of God. And later on at the resurrection of Lazarus from the grave there in John eleven four, Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And then he raised Lazarus, and he, the Son of God, was glorified by it. So it's obvious to see what he's saying here. No, he referred to himself as the Son of God. But here he calls himself the Son of Man, and he says, Who do they say that I, the Son of Man, am? So we see, first of all, that dispute. But secondly, let's talk about the discernment, the decision here, the the different varying opinions, all right? In verse 14, they, the disciples, said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias or Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now that's quite a variety, isn't it? First of all, they think you're John the Baptist. Now, why would they think he's John the Baptist? Again, this is later in his ministry. John the Baptist uh, is not around anymore. He dies back in a previous chapter. He is beheaded. That that evil daughter of Herodias uh, asked for the head of John the Baptist. And, and Herod didn't even want to do it. But John was put to death at that time. And Herod didn't get over it. And when Herod heard about all this... This this guy doing all these miracles? They thought he thought this is John the Baptist, and a rumor starts. In Matthew 14.1, at that time Herod the the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus, and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth himself in him. In other words, he's more powerful than ever now that he's risen from the dead. And Herod actually started this rumor. And so some of the people had picked up on it and they were saying Jesus was John the Baptist. Of course, that's not the case. Then there were some that thought he was Elijah. Why Elijah? Well, Elijah would be a, the prince of prophets. He's in a, a class all by himself in the Old Testament. But the reason they thought he was Elijah is, is from Malachi 4 five, The last prophecy in the Bible before the Old Testament closes says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And they were thinking, this isn't the Messiah, this is the forerunner of him. This is Elijah's return to announce the coming of the Messiah. But no, they had it a little bit backwards. John the Baptist was the one who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was the forerunner. Jesus Christ was the Messiah. So the third guy they think he is, is Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet. Now, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet of the Bible. And the Bible does tell us Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. I believe he shed a lot of tears and he was emotional and he was he was burdened like Jeremiah. So some are saying, you know, he's Jeremiah returned. And Jeremiah was greatly revered by the Jews, although not at the time. They hated him at the time. And sometimes it takes the death of somebody for him to be revered. Uh, Moses was like that. But anyway, they're making all these wild guesses. You know, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. They don't know. They're clueless. And you know, if you were to ask the question even on the campus where some of you go to school, you might get different answers. Who is Jesus? If you were to ask uh, the people at work, or, or maybe uh, that guy that wrote to me, <laughs> you know, you would get a lot of different answers, wouldn't you? They don't know really who He is. So we see the discernment. But thirdly, let's talk about the distinction. It's time to narrow it down. In verse 15, He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Whom say ye that I am? Who am I? What do you guys think? Who do you think I am? Quite a question. In fact, the question. It's it's the question that is essential to know in life, personally. Who do you think Jesus Christ is? If you think about it, theology is the deepest of all subjects. And Jesus Christ is, is really, of all theological categories, the most important subject. So here's the question of questions when it comes to life. The greatest subject, it's inexhaustible, who is Jesus Christ? We can never exhaust really who Jesus Christ is. In fact, one of the last verses in the book of John says there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. You know, shortly after I got saved... And uh, I went to talk to a, a former minister of, of mine that I knew. In fact, somebody really high up in a special place. And I went to his residence there and talked to him and 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 uh, talked about what little Bible I knew. He he said, do you take that Bible literally? And I said, well, yes. He said, he, he turned to this verse. He said, well, what do you do with this? I mean, if, if all the books that should be written about Christ are written, that the world couldn't hold them. He was basically saying that's an exaggeration. You can't take the Bible literally. Well, folks, if all the books that should be written about God were written, not only could the world not hold them, the universe couldn't hold them. And so, yes, I believe the Bible literally here. And the Bible tells us that there was much said about Christ and things not said about Christ. And and the subject of Christ is absolutely inexhaustible. Now, here's the 12 main men. And Jesus is winding down His ministry. And if this torch is going to be passed to these men, they're going to have to know who Jesus Christ is. So He asked them, I mean, they better have the right answer. And so with the wind whistling through these pagan shrines and temples here, he asks them this question. He's not looking for the endorsement of the Romans or the Jews, but theirs. And notice again in verse 15, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Now, think about what he's doing here. He's asking the men closest to him in this world, What do you think of me? You know, that's something you better think twice before you ask somebody. I mean, especially to those who know you well. Would you dare go to your wife or your coworkers or whoever and say, I want you to be honest. I want you to really tell me, what do you think of me? You know, somebody might read the Faith for Life. Uh, uh, somebody might hear me on the radio and say, oh, that Pastor Skiving's a great guy. They really don't know. <laughs> I mean, they don't know me like my wife and my children do and, and the staff around here and guys like uh, uh, Clint or Gary or Doug or whoever. Uh, you know, uh, I could be a rascal. I could be a scoundrel. And so if you really want to know what somebody's like, You go and you ask somebody who really knows him well. Jesus is asking the men who knew him better than anybody else, What am I like? What do you think of me? Who am I? Now, they had watched Jesus Christ be honest and hardworking and caring. And and, uh, so he asked quite a question here. And I wonder if we would dare ask that question to somebody else or if that person would know us well enough to say, well, I saw you shortchange that clerk, and I saw that lustful look, and, and I saw you tell that fib, and, and I know you're lazy, I've seen you lose your temper, and so on and so forth. I mean, they could say those things about us. But when it came to Jesus Christ, like Pilate said, I find no fault in Him. And as it says of even His enemies, they couldn't find anything on Him. And so here He is saying, guys, who do you think I am? We see that distinction made now. But then we see the declaration in verse number 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow. (laughs) What an awesome answer. And especially from, you know, let's be honest, a guy kind of known for his folly, (laughs) a guy known for putting his foot in his mouth, Peter, of all people here, he says, You're the anointed one. And I don't know how long there was silence after Jesus answered, asked this question. Who do you say that I am? But, but maybe some time went by and finally Peter couldn't stand the silence and, and he says, he says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, this is Peter's greatest moment. As I study the man, as I study the Gospels, I mean, after three years of putting his foot in his mouth, he finally gets it right. I mean, he's exactly right. You are the Christ. That word Christ there means the anointed one. The very Messiah. You are the one they were talking about in the Old Testament. You know that there are somewhere around 333 prophecies in the, the Old Testament about the first coming of Jesus Christ. And Christ had been fulfilling all of them. And so here's Peter saying, You're the one we've been waiting for. You are the Messiah. Right answer. Right answer. Great answer, Peter. You know, Peter had another time when he gave a pretty good answer and it was in John chapter 6. Christ preached what I think is probably one of the, the hardest messages that he had preached. They even said, oh, this is a hard saying. Man, who can who can wrap their heart around this? And, and a lot of people left him. Remember that story? And Jesus turned to the disciples and said, will you go away also? Remember what Peter said? He said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of, of, of life. That was a great answer. Jesus saw the ranks thinned at that time, but... Peter and the rest of them stuck with him. And, and that was a great moment for Peter. But this is his greatest moment right here. And notice, uh, Jesus in verse 17 answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon bar Jonah. That's like a beatitude. Blessed are the this and blessed are the that. And here's the rest of the apostles maybe standing there kind of going, I wish I would have said that. You know, Imagine what's going through Judas' mind at this time. I should have thought of that, you know. You know, here's Peter, and too bad he's gonna deny the Lord in a few months. But this is his moment. And he gives this answer beyond himself. You ever done that, by the way? Been called on in class, and you, uh, go, you get up there, and, and you give an answer, and something intelligent spits out, and the teacher goes, well, that's excellent. And you go, well, where'd that come from? You know? You give this answer beyond yourself. That was Peter here. He gives this answer and it's like, wow, where did I get that? And Jesus Christ gives him some, some commendation and there's some, some warm kudos to this, this loyal disciple. He said, You are exactly right. Peter said, You're the Son of God. And by the way, that's a very narrow answer. If you think about it, it's not politically correct to say that. It, it, it's not in vogue. We have this open minded kind of a society today and, and, uh, Jesus hears from the lips of Peter, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter says in another place, Acts 4.12, you're the only way to get to heaven. That's pretty narrow too. And Jesus himself in John 14.6 even says, I'm the only way to get to heaven. That's what they said about him. That's what he said about himself. So here amongst these stone pillars and these graven images and this Baal worship and these pagan altars, he calls him the Son of the living God. I want you to notice those words at the last part of verse 16. The Son of the of the living God. God's alive, folks. And I'm so glad I know the living God. Because for over 20 years of my life, God wasn't alive to me. I had it up here. I had a head knowledge of Him. And like so many, He was the man upstairs, you know. Um, he was the big guy in the sky. And there are so many like that. God's an imaginary friend to them. They, they talk about Him, but they really don't know Him. And... For 20 years of my life, that was the God I knew, not the living God. Psalm 84 too, the psalmist said, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. He said, I want the living God. Not some imaginary friend, the living God. And that was the God I met on March 5th, 1981. Before then, God was not alive to me. Like many, I was embarrassed to talk about God around my friends or in a public place or to pray before a meal. There's a difference between God and the living God. There's a difference between a God of your own imagination or the mush God, as I preached about here, and the living God, the one true God, the the God of the Bible. Joshua mentions them in Joshua 3.10. Joshua said, Hereby you shall know that the living God is among you. I love that. The living God is among you. In 1 Samuel 17, 26, David said, Who is this Philistine talking about Goliath that he should defy the armies of the living God? God was alive to David. Is God alive to you today? Does He walk with you and talk with you, as the songwriter said? Do you really know Him in an intimate way? The living God. Many years ago, there was uh, an atheist by the name of Nietzsche. He was a German rationalist. I think he was born in 1844 and as he got older he wrote all kinds of blasphemous things about God being dead. And, and he got quite a following uh, back in those days in German rationalism there. And he had so many uh, people that looked up to him that you would find in cemeteries around uh, Germany there, the word scrawled on the, the cement wall, God is dead. You know, here's a cemetery, this is where God is, God is dead. People were writing it all over, kind of like Kilroy was here in World War II, you know. They were writing, God is dead. Well, pretty soon Nietzsche died. And there was found on one of those walls, God is alive. God is alive, sign God. God is the living God, folks. He's still with us today. We see this declaration. Fifthly, we see the decree. In verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You say, well, who's Simon Bar-Jonah? That word bar there, it's Syriac for son of. Son of Jonah or son of Jonas. Peter was the son of Jonah. And Jesus here uses his full name. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. Kind of like parents do when a kid's in trouble, right? Jeffrey John, I told you not to do that, you know. And, and uh, Scotty Raymond, get out of those cookies. I told you already. And, and uh, Tim Richard, you know, and, and mom will always use that full name. We heard Jared Anthony a lot around our place when he was growing up. You know, so many, always oh, in trouble. And so Peter here, here's his full name. Blessed art thou, Simon, the son of Jonah, Bar-Jonah. He says in verse 17, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. What's he talking about there? That's an expression that means, uh, you know, the human nature. And somewhat even the, the flesh, if you will. And in Galatians 1.16, Paul says, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. And blood. It's kind of putting a man on a, on a lower basis where he belongs. He said, when, when God called me to preach, Paul said, I didn't have to consult with anybody else. No other human being I conferred not with flesh and blood. And so Jesus says in verse 17 of our text, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you. What's he talking about there? He's saying, Peter, you didn't come up with that on your own. You didn't give an answer really that was beyond yourself by your own ability. Flesh and blood or your own flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you. This isn't even something you learned in a book. It's not something your parents taught you. He's telling Peter here that you got that from God. Only God could have revealed that to Peter there. Now, what Peter said here is that Jesus is divine. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was exactly right. Not another religious leader, but the Son of God. And Peter makes a declaration of something that God had shown him that God has shown many others down through the centuries. You know, there was a a famous novel by the name of Ben-Hur, and they made a movie about it even later on. It was written by a a territorial governor by the name of Lou Wallace, who at one time was an atheist, until he started to study the Bible. And he realized that Jesus Christ fulfilled all those prophecies. even went over to Israel and realized this was the Christ. Now, the fact that Christ... Uh, Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. It's something that God reveals to the humble. It is something that the intellectuals often trip on. Sadly, we read in 1 Corinthians 1.26, Paul says, For you see your calling that is unto salvation, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. They, they just don't commonly get saved. It's, it's kind of a rare thing. They trip on their intellectualism. And they're not called or drawn because no man can come unto the Father except He draw him. And Paul is saying you don't see a lot of the, the so-called intellectuals getting saved. And yet, many have been down through the centuries who wondered at one time. Shakespeare wondered about Christ at one time, but he, he died knowing he was the Son of God. So did Handel, so did uh, Dickens, so did Tolstoy about uh, five years before he died. Napoleon, by the way, in, in exile on in St. Helena, uh, written, wrote out this, this really profound declaration about who Jesus Christ was. I'm not saying he was saved, but but basically said he is unlike any other who's ever lived, and infinitely greater than anyone else who has ever lived. They got it. He is the Son of the living God. So we see the dispute and the discernment and the distinction and the declaration and the decree. But finally, let's talk about the determination. Because here's the big question, all right? He's the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of man, but is, your, is He your Savior? Is He your Lord? There are a lot of people that think because Jesus died for the sins of the world, it's automatic. You know, I'm a child of God now. He's my Savior. It is not automatic. For 20 years of my life, I thought it was automatic. Boy, it was a great day in my life when I realized I've got to do something with Jesus Christ. Like Thomas, my Lord and my God. I had to make Him my God, my Savior, my Lord. You say, how did that happen? Well, Like so many, i had been baptized as a baby and went to church on Sunday and and got confirmed and took communion and, and tried to do good works and hopefully thought my good would outweigh my bad, but did not realize the Bible said you cannot work your way to heaven. That it's absolutely not by our works of righteousness that we have done, but according to God's mercy that we're saved and that we're saved by grace. That means it's free. It's the gift of God. And not of works lest any man should boast. But it also involves uh, an acknowledgement of our sinfulness, a willingness to turn from that sin, at least in our hearts. It's called repentance. And through repentance and faith and calling upon the Lord and asking Him to save me on March 5th, 1981, I was born again as Jesus called it. And I knew from that point on that if I died, I'd go to heaven. And and that nothing could take that salvation away from me. It's been life-changing for me. Have you been truly born again? Because for 20 years I had this had knowledge of Christ, but it was not connected. Uh, I didn't know Him until that night when that became my confession. He's my Lord. He's my God. Now, who do you say Jesus Christ is? I mean, to you personally. The answers of others does you no good. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Is He your Lord? What would your answer be? And you know, folks dodge that question now. And they can do that. But after death... In fact, in eternity, they will have to come to grips with that. And it will be too late at that point. This question, who is Jesus Christ, will mean the difference between heaven and hell. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Have you been born again? Do you know the Lord and the difference that He can make? Who else can forgive sin but Jesus Christ? Think about that. Who else paid for your sin? But Jesus Christ. Did Mary pay for it? No. Did Muhammad pay for it? No. Did Buddha pay for it? No. Did, did some swami pay for it? No. Jesus Christ paid for your sin and mine. Nobody else can change your life but Jesus Christ. Bible says if any man be in Christ, they're a new creature. They're a new person. No one else can turn our bitterness to joy but Jesus Christ. There's no one we can Trust with our darkest secrets, but Jesus Christ. Nobody can erase the bitterness of our past and remove the scars of our past, but Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ only. And only Jesus Christ can give true joy in this life and in the next life. Do you know the Jesus Christ of the Bible? Jesus Christ alone is is qualified to escort you from the womb to the grave and then out into eternity. Who is Jesus Christ to you? On March 5th, 1981, He became my Savior. My life has never been the same. Do you know Him today? Are you seeking Him today if you don't know Him? Because the real question is not who do they say He is? doesn't matter. The real question is who do you say He is? Who do you say He is? What do you say about Him? You must make this decision at some point in your life. Nobody else can make it for you. This decision, what to do with Christ. Are you truly born again the Bible way? Now, maybe you sit here today and you're saved already. You've given your life to Him. But oh, when we really realize who He is. In fact, that's what Paul said, that I may know Him. I mean, Paul knew Him already, but he wanted to know Him better. And when we get to the place where we want to know Him in a greater way and worship in a, in a greater way and be a participant and not a spectator, God will deepen our relationship with Him at that point for those who are saved. I like that song, Make Me More Like You, Lord. May God make us more like him. And may we be able to answer that question, who is Jesus?
1: You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church. 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.